you know, obviously you now have additional capital on the balance sheet to drive additional growth. Do you, I mean, do you see a clear path to breaking a $50 million run rate in the next 12 to 24 months? That is, that is certainly our goal, yes. Does it feel reasonable or does it make you a little uncomfortable? It feels like a stretch goal. I think it's reasonable. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hey, folks. My guest today is Colin Earle. He's a software industry veteran with 25 years of experience as a developer, product manager, and CIO. He worked at IBM, General Electric, and three startups before founding Agiloft. It's, they're a leader in contract lifecycle management, and they've been featured many times in the Gartner Magic Quadrant. Colin, are you ready to take us to the top? Sure. So you first have to tell people, what, what does that mean? What does contract lifecycle management mean? It just refers to the creation and management of contracts, typically contracts between B2B organizations. And to kind of set the stage for this, negotiating and agreeing upon one of these contracts can well cost well in excess of $100,000 in attorney fees. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not a small issue. Mm-hmm. Of course, the entirety of business is focused around contracts and those define the relationships between, between the companies. Now, this is fun for me, Colin, because the last time you came on was back in 2017. So the, you were one of my first interviews. We're now almost 3,000 interviews in, and the world has changed significantly since when we last spoke. So let's get sort of the updated story here. What kinds of customers are paying you for your contract lifecycle management software? Organizations from you know, the very largest enterprises uh, down to a few SMB companies. Um, there's a list of uh, customers at our website, but you know, it includes the likes of CDW, Chevron, um, right down to startups. So, Colin, you're going to hate this as an engineer, but if I forced you, if I forced you into an average, what would you say the average customer is paying you per month? Uh, I, we don't re- disclose that information, uh, but it is, it, it's, let's say it's significant. Uh, ranges from a million plus at the high end down to a few thousand at the low end. So someone can get started for, on you guys for as little as you know a thousand, two thousand dollars a month. Yeah. And for someone that's paying, one thing I want to understand is what's the difference between someone paying you two grand a month versus someone paying a hundred grand a month? What are you upselling against? Is it number of contracts, number of seats, something else? It's primarily the number of seats. There's also d- different versions of the software. For example, the higher end customers will typically use the API. Uh, they may be using 24 by 7 support services, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Are those the main two, though? It's support services and API frequency? Support services, API frequency, and of course, the number of users. Yep. Now that all makes sense. Okay, great. And now this is a this is what you call sort of the, the slow growth story, but still a great story. You, you know, this isn't something where you went and raised a bunch of capital and exploded overnight. You launched this, I believe, in 1991, correct? That's right. Yeah. So so been going and pretty capital efficient, I think. How much have you raised to date? We had a round of funding from FTV uh, about a year ago. Uh, until then, we had no funding at all. It had grown purely through bootstrapping. 
and actually achieved number one ranking in the Gartner Magic Quadrant, at least in the enterprise uh, critical enterprise capabilities report, without having a penny of funding, purely mm-hmm. through bootstrapping. Now, how many customers are you serving today? I think in 2017, you said you're working with about 1,000. Yeah. Um, then the, the number is... Uh, Partial listing is available at our website. There's about 500 companies listed at the site. Uh, a number of organizations ask that we don't disclose their names hey, or logos. Con, I'm not asking. I'm not asking you to disclose uh, the list of your customers. I'm just trying to understand number of customers. Right. This signifies if you're moving up market or moving down market based off the number at the top of your funnel. So, how many total customers are paying you at least a dollar? Um, I won't answer that directly, but I will say that growth over the past year in terms of new sales has been more than 50%, um, and the prior year was about 40%. Okay. Now, when you say year-over-year 50% growth in new sales, is do you consider upselling a current customer a new sale? Yeah. Um, so it's actually, it's more growth in revenue, I should say. Yeah, I got it. So you you may not be adding a bunch of new customers, but if you're expanding wallet share across the current base, you can still get great revenue growth. Yeah. Um, and of course, we are adding a lot, a lot of new logos, but we're also getting a lot of demand from the existing customer base. Mm-hmm. I mean, are, is the general thesis, you know, when HubSpot went public, they made a very intentional thing to say, guys, listen to the analysts. Our average ARPU is going to decrease because we're going to open top of funnel. We want a wider net. We'll drive ARPU expansion over time. It's a very intentional decision. Are, are, what, how are you guys thinking about customer growth over time? Are you happy with just maximum 2,000 customers and driving wallet share and ARPUs up? Or will you ever really open top of funnel and be, have a self-service you know, $100 a month tool? We win. We don't anticipate having a $100 self-service tool. And the reason for this is that Agileoft was really designed to meet the needs of sizable enterprises, organizations with complex requirements, complex workflows, demanding loads, et cetera. And that level of sophistication is necessitates a certain level of sophistication in the product itself. Um, it just isn't a great fit for the extreme low end. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. What does the sales motion then look like today? Do you have a bunch of account executives calling into new accounts or are you mainly have more heavy on CSM, customer success reps that are just driving expansion in the current base? It's most. It's not so much... Uh, salespeople calling into new accounts, but new new potential clients coming to us, registering at the website, and then getting a follow-up call from a product specialist or a sales specialist. So, so how many people total are on the team today? Uh, we we don't just disclose those numbers, but um, as you can see from the LinkedIn profile, in excess of 200. Okay, got it. Uh, so over 200. And how many of those folks would you consider uh, engineering, in-house engineers? Uh, about a quarter. Okay, so pretty pretty heavy then. Uh, at least 50 there are engineers. And then do you are there any like functions you've decided to outsource because you feel like it was more effective for the business? Not so much functions. I mean, there's a number of services that we outsource. You know, we don't run our own mail server, for example. We use the hosted version of Microsoft Exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, we use AWS for hosting abroad. Uh, we offer hosting on AWS in Virginia as well. Yeah, so whenever you can use, and this is, I think, a general rule. When there's a commoditized product out there, 
that's best of breed and backed by a you know, significant organization like Amazon or Microsoft, you're almost always better using that than, than developing your own. Mm-hmm. Yep. Going back, Colin, to the, the backstory, it's rare you see a founder stay committed for oh, almost 30 years. So applause to you, uh, to, one, to one startup here. But do you remember, can you take us back? Do you remember the year you passed a million dollar run rate? Yeah. What year was that? It was back in 80, I think it was 89. Oh, so you didn't you know it's, it was, sorry, it was not 89, nine, 2000, 2001. It was, it was quite a while. Um, and the, the reason for this is that if you bootstrap an organization, you have to develop some working capital. And we developed that by providing consultancy services. We then use that money to fund development of our first product and then use the money from that product to fund development of the Agiloft suite today. Uh, So it it takes a while. Um, And if I had to do it again, maybe I'd raise capital at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now, are you the sole founder or how many founders are there? I'm the sole founder. You are the sole founder. Okay. So you kept 100% equity all the way up through the beginning of, I guess, 2019, 2020. Oh, no. Um, you know, the equity was shared with the employees. And you know, I think it's part of the Agilov culture that every employee gets some piece of equity. And you know, when we had the investment from FDV, um, millions of dollars went to existing employees as well as, of course, a fair chunk to myself. Yep. Before we get to the, the FTV stuff, because I do know that was obviously a big decision you made in the life cycle of the business. Um, there's a lot of bootstrap founders that listen to this show. And one of the things they struggle with is when to set up that employee stock option pool, or should they just stick with dividends, right? And, and, and use free cash at the end of the year to incentivize them. How did you make that decision when to set up and incentivize employees with equity? Pretty, pretty much right from the beginning. Um, yeah, we wanted... The, the, one of the core tenets of Agileoft is to align the self-interest of the company, the employees, and the customers. And one of the ways that you align the self-interest of the company and the employees is by giving them a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And so what was there? Again, there's people listening here. They want to learn from you, right? What percent did you decide on, on day one to reserve for you know employee option pool? Around uh, about 10%. And, and looking back, would you do the same thing again? Or would you make it bigger, smaller? I think we'd do the same thing again. Okay, got it. So then over time, really all the way up, you know, 20, 30 years later, you basically, you know, you own call it 80 to 90%. You use the option pool to incentivize key employees for their 10%. And that was until FTV was really the first, we'll call it, outsider on your cap table. Then is that right? Well, the, the initial option pool was about 10%. We expanded that option pool as the company grew. So t- walk me through that process. Why did you have to? Did you, did you just find yourself you deployed the full ten percent, and there was still great talent you wanted to go acquire, so you need to add exactly. more. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So how did you think about expand? Like, can you share? Sort of, do you double it or triple it or what? We we look well. What what do you do is you look at what what will it take to make the company really attractive to a potential employee? How many such folks do we anticipate hiring on before we get to the next you know, level of revenue? Uh, you know, if if you're giving somebody, say, 0.1% of the company or 0.5% of the company, that's very different if the company is at a you know, 
revenue le- rever- revenue of say ten million dollars a year as mm-hmm. opposed to one million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So the the size of the pool is dependent upon both the number of employees you're looking to hire and the level of seniority and the size of the company at the time that you hire them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we 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 more than doubled the 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 equity pool. And then you obviously made capital decisions in 2020 with bringing FTV in. Can I ask how much equity you still own today? Um, I'm still the largest shareholder. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. All right. So you still own more than 50%. Um, why did you make that decision? Why not sell a majority to FTV? Why did you want to keep more than 50%? Well, I didn't keep, to be clear, I didn't keep more than 50% of the stock. I'm the largest shareholder. Oh, I see. Got but, it. You know, there are, there are other shareholders as employees as FTV, et cetera. Um, and you know, we bought in FTV because we felt it was time to accelerate the growth of the organization. Uh, CLM is an extraordinary and rapidly developing and evolving market. Um, and it's, you know, it's nice to take some cookies off the table. Mm-hmm. How much of the 45 million was secondary? Uh, enough that uh, I don't have to worry about money. <laughs> That's, and, and, you know, you know, that's more well, dependent on expenses than how much they take in secondary. If you keep your expenses low, you can live on nothing. Well, yeah. Um, you know, and, and I don't have expensive tastes, but <laughs> you know, it, it was it was nice to buy a nice house. Um, I, I'm delighted to say I now live in the house that was previously owned by the inventor of LDAP. Oh wow, is, very cool. Yeah, kind of very, cool. very huh? cool. That's 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 incredible. Can I can I push you a little harder? There was more than fifty percent of the forty five million secondary or less. Uh, I I I don't want to get into those details. Um, it's something the, that I respect. What I, what what, I, what when, I'll say is this: the goal wasn't that I become wealthy. If I simply wanted a ton of money, then I'd have sold the company. The goal was that I get enough money that the company can afford to expand rapidly and aggressively without my worrying about it. So it it gave us freedom to grow the sales organization, to grow and expand the marketing organization. Well, Colin, if that was the only focus, none of it would have been been secondary, right? You took part secondary because you deserve to take part secondary. You work hard for 20 years, you bootstrap a business. It makes sense. The reason I push you on the question is because there's a lot of founders listening today that have bootstrapped to five or 10 million and they're being approached by growth equity firms and trying to figure out how to negotiate what percent they should ask for, for secondary versus keeping in the business. Right. And what, what I'd say is this, is that if you want to grow a company rapidly, as Salesforce did, it's you know one of the classic examples, you have to be willing to go into the red because growth is expensive. It is almost impossible to double revenue year over year without going into the red from a gap perspective. And that's, a, at least for me, a very uncomfortable thing to do. To, to, you know, and, and at a certain point, you're going to run into cash flow issues. Mm-hmm. So to do that, you need to bull in investment capital, you need to build the balance sheet. But if you want to be comfortable doing it, you also need to pull in enough secondary so that your retirement is taken care of. Yep. And that, that, I, that is how I think about it or thought about it and I, how I recommend others think about it as well. 
That's really helpful. Thanks for that. Rounding um, this out, uh, you know, obviously you now have additional capital on the balance sheet to drive additional growth. Do you, I mean, do you see a clear path to breaking a $50 million run rate in the next 12 to 24 months? That is, that is certainly our goal. Yes. Does it feel reasonable or does it make you a little uncomfortable? It feels like a stretch goal. I think it's reasonable. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And the reason I ask 50 million instead of something else is I take your, you know, more than a thousand customers today at around a $2,000 RPU puts you at 3 million a month and annualized. It's about 36 million. If you keep growing at 50 to 60% year over year, that gets to that 50 million here fairly rapidly. Right. Well, one of, you know, one of the things that happens is when you get to a certain point, you become well-known in the market. And you know, we achieved that with both the number of customers and the Gartner Magic Quadrant. And then it begins to build in itself pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. Getting to that point you know, is, is a lot tougher than exploiting well, it. Well, yeah. I mean, Colin, it took you 10... I appreciate you sharing this, but it took you 10 years to get to that million-dollar run rate, I believe, correct? Yeah. There are about... Right. So that's the grind. That's that's the that's what it's all about is the grind. Uh mm-hmm. how long did it can I ask you how long it took you to get to 10 million run rate? Less than I was gonna say less than half that time, but yeah, right okay, about so, that. So round about that would have been like 2015-ish. Yeah. It, okay. it the I, I'd say, you know, there was the other factor, of course, was that we transitioned from being a consulting organization to a product organization. Mm-hmm. And as a product organization, you can grow so much faster. Yep. Why weren't you able... I mean, so, so call it 10 million in 2015, and now you're around like 30 or 40 million. Uh, why weren't you able to like grow faster in that period? Did you just sort of hit a roadblock where you needed to bring in external capital to, to take some other experiments, some other tests? We were... We, we, Agiloft was focused on the platform because uh, it's a no-code platform. It allows you to mm-hmm. build any enterprise application. And one of the first applications we, we, we focused on was service desk support, um, you know, which is a large market, but heavily saturated. And it's much, much harder to grow in that market than a relatively greenfield market like CLM. Mm-hmm. It was when we made the transition to focus on CLM to put core development expertise into building the CLM platform, that growth really began to accelerate. Mm-hmm. And now today with the additional capital and the expansion of you're seeing, is your net dollar retention above 100%? Yes. Do you have a goal there or is that not important? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, our goal is simply to make it as high as possible. Uh, but getting it above and 100% is a comfortable place to be. Mm-hmm. And it's been above 100% for a number of years now. Yep. yep. Can you get, I mean, can this space, can you get up to 120, 130%, which would be world-class compared to publicly traded SaaS companies? Um, I, I think so. But I th- it, it, you know, it, it all depends upon the level of saturation you get with the initial sale. In some instances, people begin with a relatively small deployment for maybe one division of a multinational company, and then they grow from there. And of course, you get extraordinary multiples if that's what happens. Mm-hmm. If, however, you begin with, a, with an enterprise de- deployment across the entire organization, you're only going to get an d- incremental growth as the parent organization grows. Unless you develop new product lines to sell into different functional roles at that logo. 
it does so, you know, and that's one of the things which is happening is that people having seen success with Agile for CLM are then looking to expand it for matter management, case management, et cetera. Are you building any new product lines outside of CLM? We're building adjacent applications to CLM. Yep, matter management, case management are, are good examples. Closely tied to CLM. Yep. Um, yeah, they're, con- they're processes which involve contracts that involve negotiation and discussing between sites, but they're not kind of core to CLM itself. Mm-hmm. Um, valuation is obviously a sensitive topic, so I won't ask you what the valuation was when you worked with FTB. You probably can't answer that, but can I ask you in terms of the multiple against your AR? Was it more or less than a 10x multiple? It was more than a 10x multiple. Okay, got it. W- w- like more than 20x multiple? Uh, let's not. Unfortunately, not. Okay. <laughs> Maybe okay. it should have been. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Okay, so between 10 and 20x multiple, that, that's helpful. Yeah. Let's wrap up con with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? The tipping point. Number two. It it isn't strictly a a business book, but it's extraordinarily helpful. Number two. Is there a CEO you're following or studying? Yeah. Reed Hastings. Extraordinary guy. Number three. What's your favorite online tool for building Agileoft? I don't really have an an online tool um, for for building Agileoft. It's developers. Yeah. Number four. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Eight. Okay. Situation, Colin? Married, single kids? Very happily married. One kid. Any, one kid. Okay. And how old yeah. are you? <laughs> old enough to have gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> I have gray hairs coming in now and I'm only 31. Uh, not as many of them. Look at me. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, take us home then. That's something you wish you knew when you were 20. Um, I think I think what I what I wish I'd known is that you really have to be, if you want to make a difference in the world, you have to be willing to reject the conventional wisdom. You also have to be willing to look at the conventional wisdom and see where you can learn from it. Because there's, yeah, there's an entire history of learning background which has gone into that. Um, but if you simply accept what people are telling you as being the gospel truth, you're never going to be more than a wage worker. Guys, a 30-year-old overnight success story, Agiloff, took them 10 years to bootstrap to a million bucks in revenue as they transitioned from an agency to a products company, broke $10 million in terms of run rate in 2015. Now they have over 1,500 customers they are serving in the contract lifecycle management space with their team of 200. He decided last year in 2020 to go ahead and raise $45 million uh, from a private equity firm, FTV. A portion of that went to incentivize and celebrate uh, early employees who took equity early on. And obviously, a portion also went to column. But now, they're doubling down on growth, growing, call it 40 to 60% year over year with plans to break that magical $50 million run right here in the next 12 to 24 months. Colin, thanks so much for taking us to the top. Thank you, Nathan.